Welcome to the Dad Ass Podcast, the subpar, mediocre at best podcast about being a new dad. Hey, hey, and welcome to the Dad Ass Podcast, the completely unscripted, unconventional podcast, just trying to help us all figure out this whole parenting and adulting thing. Me, I'm not really a dad ass, but it's called oh, the dad ass. sure you are. I'm Matt, and this smiling face and smart mind across the table from me is the one, the only dude, the resident family counselor, a.k.a. Sean. Sean. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. It's nice to be recording with you again. Yeah. And we're in our like super cool summer home at Elevate, which I always enjoy coming here because it makes me feel fancier than we actually are. Like, honestly, you walk in and I'm like, I don't think I'm actually cool enough to be here, but they invited us, so I'll go with it, well, you know? What, what's actually funny is we have a really important guest, so we were like, we have to pull out the really important oh, space. Yeah. But yeah. When, when I walked in on the topic of importance... Lynn greeted me like, hey, Matt, so good to have you here at Elevate Westerville. And then when you came in, they're like, sorry, we don't need you here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, actually, I think you're looking for the place down the road. <laughs> it's true. <They're, laughs> no, they were very kind and very sweet and helpful. It's true. It's yeah. very true. But we have a very special guest today, so much so that I chewed through your bio. I, I, I kind of picked and, and chose some things to put in, but I will definitely leave it open for you to say more. But we are here with Dr. Parker Houston, a licensed clinical psychologist and clinical director of the On Our Sleeves program. And that's the movement for children's mental health backed by the experts at Nationwide Children's Hospital, which I am very excited that we have here in our region because Tuckerman, our son, has had two surgeries there already in his mm -hmm. first year uh, of life. Uh, you work on population mental health initiatives, developing, managing, and sharing mental health content on a local, regional, national level. You are right here in Westerville with, I think you said, two kids. Correct. Two kids. And we had a great conversation where we learned a lot about you, but I didn't write it in the bio, so I'm going to leave it at that. Welcome to the Dadass Podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. This is really a blast to be here, and uh, I love what you guys do, so I'm happy to be part of this episode. I went through your entire bio online, and there was just a lot of big words I didn't know how to like <laughs> confidently say. Yeah. And so Sounds I was like, right. I'm going to yeah. just keep it short, Yeah, and then let the two smart people use the big words later. I want to point out that you are smart, and here's why. Okay. You're smart enough to know that I'm smart. Okay. See, I thought you were going to be like, because I'm smart enough to know that this podcast got better once you came. Well, that too, but no, that's not, no, it is true. I'm it's not. so true. <laughs> um, you, you might be one of our smartest guests. I think so. Just, just from hearing you talk, reading your bio, um, but before we hear anything smart from you, yes, give us your best dad joke. Well, uh, there are so many. And the the one that came to mind, i.e. the first one that I looked up that I recognized and enjoyed, is um, how do you follow Will Smith in the snow? <laughs> I don't know, but I love Will Smith. Me too. You follow his fresh prints. <laughs> Zing! I knew it had something to do with the show. And I was like, wait, what? Um, I like that. 110% unrelated to what we're going to talk about, but related to your joke. Has anyone else seen the, um, like, somebody, this was like two years ago, somebody, like, did, like, a remake drama version. Like, they did, like, a trailer of it, and apparently it got picked up by, like, Netflix. Have no you way. seen this? I no. have not. Um, I, I don't, and it, it's basic, it is the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but instead of it being a comedy, it's supposed to be, like, a more, a modern version in a drama form. Wow. Um, I'm telling you, I, I think it's just called Bel Air. I, I could be wrong on that. Right now, all it is is like a, a trailer. Hmm. But I, I read, I don't know, I think it was maybe during chemo that I, I read it, so like nine months ago, that um, Will Smith, some guy like made it as just like a little like fun like passion project. Will Smith saw it because it like went viral on the internet. And then, like, helped this guy, like, 
move the project forward. And I want to say like Netflix or Hulu, one of the streaming services picked mm. it up. Um, and he like totally endorsed it and was like, this is sweet. So I'm telling you, Bel Air, oh. you got to look it up. Like, it sounds interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I like the quirky humor though. Yeah. I like the quirky humor, but when you watch it, you're like, Oh, I don't know. I watched it and I was like some heavy topics in there that yeah, they yeah. turn into a comedy. They had to cover some pretty difficult things. Yeah. yeah. I just want to know who's going to do the Carlton dance in yeah. that version. You know, how are they going to fold that in? Yeah. How's, and it has to happen. Like it, if it doesn't happen, it's not the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right? And very dramatically, yeah, like done yeah. too. Like maybe I, slow motion, yeah, with like a pained look on his face or something. Like yeah. lightning coming from outside, yeah, the lights like go. flickering. Yeah. <laughs> no, but really, I, I am excited to see that project um, come to life. You should, yeah, we'll see. Check it out. You know, that's actually a really good segue because. Outside of that awesome, worthwhile project that we can't wait to see, you have been at the helm of a very large um, project of the Honor Sleeves program. Tell us, uh, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know about it or anyone that's not here in central Ohio or in, or in Ohio, what, what exactly is uh, that program? Well, I'll give you the, the short version because, honestly, the long version is um – many, many minutes worth of discussion, and we'll get into some of it. But, you know, the the short version is that we are a program that was born out of a need for elevating the discussion about children's mental health uh, across the region here, but also nationally, as well as trying to break some of the stigmas about child mental health and about talking about it and, and seeking care when necessary and integrating it into everyday life. And what it's grown into is so much more than that because we now provide resources, we do school lesson plans, we do um, partnerships with other large nonprofits and, and national child-serving organizations like Boys and Girls Clubs. Um, and so we've gotten into much more of what we would consider a mental health promotion and wellness promotion um, type of organization. And it's grown by leaps and bounds since it was first launched in October of 2018. So we're, we're still pretty young, but we're getting bigger by the day, it seems. Yeah. So one of the things I like when I was listening to you talk um, – you, I don't exactly remember the exact phrasing that you used, but whatever it was, you talked about like elevating the conversation surrounding this, and that what sort of struck like struck in my head was that it's a conversation and it's a thing that's been happening forever, but it's something that like we just don't talk about for whatever reason mm-hmm. for a long, long time, like mental health. That's like an adult thing. Like kids don't have mental, like that's been the sort of um, attitude, at least that I've experienced with a lot of that. And that's not, that's not true. Right. Um, And so I appreciate that you're not creating a new conversation. You're literally taking a conversation that's, that's needed to or been needed to have that everyone has been needing to have and bringing it into the light. Um, yeah. it's not like this, like new, like, Oh wait, we just discovered this. Like it's always been there. It's just something that we've just been figuring out how to have a conversation about. Yeah. A hundred percent. And historically there are lots of reasons why people don't talk about it. If we think about the stigma around child development and child mental health in general, you know, it wasn't too long ago, just a generation or two where child mental health problems were directly blamed on parenting and mothering and and the environment. And that was, that was what they considered factual information that, you know, if a parent brought their child in to see somebody, their first question was, well, what are you doing wrong? And so even though we know a lot better now, and, you know, we those of us who are in the child mental health field or who work with kids, we understand that that's a really small part of a really large picture for most kids. Um, there's still a lot of trepidation out there for parents to talk about, hey, my, my kid's been struggling lately. I might need some assistance with this because they don't want it to come and blow back on them and think, well, what are you not doing or yeah. what are you doing too mm-hmm. much of? Yeah. So, I mean, Matt, you you probably aren't familiar with this. Um, what I was... You know, when I went through training as a counselor and things, 
Um, and I don't know if this is what children's uses. I'm, I'm assuming it's probably somewhere similar to this, but we talk about like a biopsychosocial model and there's like a lot of different components that go into like why you behave the way you behave and mm -hmm. where those sorts of things. And so, um, you know, and I, I think that is something that parents aren't sort of aware of or not always aware of that there are mental health now, like you said, is starting to shift away from this like... <laughs> I, as a sort of mental health practitioner myself, I'm not into the finger pointing thing. Yeah, um, you definitely know, not. no, and, and most, most mental health professionals aren't. Um, but I think like you said, like historically, that's where it has sort of come from. And so it was like, well, I don't want someone to think I'm a bad parent because my, my child is having, you know, issues with X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. and the reality is, is that there are like a million and one things that go into what make you who you are and the struggles that you experience and that everyone experiences struggles and, you know, some, th some things in my personal opinion are, can be caught early and modified. Um, and some things, um, are just going to require a, a long lifetime of, you know, support and modification and all those sorts of things. Um, but that regardless of what your situation is, it's not, that's not a reason not to seek help or look into it or, or those sorts of things. Yeah. Now we have, um, nearly a two year old at home and, and you'd brought up early signs or, or having to do, um, I think I don't know what you said, like lifelong enhancements. I, f I forget what term you use. What, what usually, or what, what has been like a average early age for parents like my wife and I with a two-year-old where we're not even thinking about what could be any potential um, mental health issues or any health issues down the road. Wh where are you seeing like early signs? What, what, what have you seen? What do you both know? I'm curious about that. Yeah. Well, you know, my clinical life before taking over as the, the director of On Our Sleeves was working with really young kids in a specialty clinic at the Children's Hospital. And so, um, you know, we look a lot more in those earlier ages. We look for developmental trajectories that might not be meeting typical expectations and try and understand why they might be deviating from what we would think would happen at that age. And and a lot of times that's identified through visits to the pediatrician. It's identified in a preschool setting or in a daycare setting, or it's identified by parents who are like, hey, look, I'm spending a lot of time with other kids or I have other kids and this doesn't seem to be following a pattern that I'm used to or that, that I'm comfortable with. And so um, it's more developmental at those really early ages versus looking for specific symptoms that we mm -hmm. would consider mental health symptoms for an older population. But, you know, what my mission is, is to get parents thinking about it and focusing on it with kids as early as possible in a positive way. So most of what I do is not necessarily about, you know, when do we need to refer a child for services? It's more about what could you proactively do starting when they're gaining language and gaining self-recognition to help them become more, you know, versatile and, and more well-versed in emotional language and the skills that you might need to, to be resilient and all of those fun words that we like to think that we're, we want our kids to be. Um, what kind of skills can they learn early in life, no matter what their trajectory, no matter where they come from, that might, you know, prevent some of those things in the future or at least give them the emotional language to express when things are difficult for them? Yeah, so... As you sort of describe that, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, what, what it sounds like is the honor where there are lots of programs that around the United States, around the world that do mental health for right. children. Yeah. Um, what it sounds like where the difference is coming in is that a lot of the pre-existing programs are reactive men children's mental health. It's Absolutely. Some, there's a problem here. I've identified the problem. Maybe it took a little longer to identify it, that sort of thing. But what it sounds like the On Our Sleeves campaign is about is proactive mental health, which is like teaching kids about like teach kids and parents about like healthy communication, healthy relationships, those sorts of things. Um, so it it's also, I mean, in all honesty, as I hear you sort of describe it, the 
the field that my mind drifted towards was was really like positive psychology and Martin Seligman and and Absolutely. those sorts of things. That's what I thought too, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> Your old dude, Martin. Yeah, Martin I actually, I, I actually have had a beer Doc with Martin. him. Have you? I really have. I'm very jealous. It was a very, very neat experience. I can only imagine. I mean, yeah, I I draw on positive psychology, but I also draw on you know research outside of psychology, talking about sort of basic level developmental skills that we all could benefit from. And as someone who has been practicing and learning about psychology for my career, I've tried to take all of those things. And and Sean, I'm sure you know this experience, but the kid who walks into your office and after you get to know them a little while, what you think to yourself is, boy, if I would have known you three years ago, Mm -hmm. if I would have been able to teach you some things a few years ago, Maybe we wouldn't be in this position. Mm-hmm. You know, we might still meet each other because it's not going to ward off absolutely everything. But we sure wouldn't have this much of a mountain to climb to get where we need you to be. And so, what I'm trying to do, and and what our program tries to do, is distill those things down into um, a lesson plan or a bite-sized piece that a parent doesn't feel turned off by, or that a teacher can implement in a classroom, and and make it just a little bit less scary and a little bit more accessible to every person out there. Because, you know, we not to toot our own horn in our field, but a lot of people could benefit from the information and research that we usually only get to apply to people. As you said, they come through our door at their worst or in a place where they're not doing well. And so then we try and apply this knowledge and this research and, and these skills. But I like to swim upstream a little bit and try and get to them and, and try and get their ear earlier in the process, figuring that we can help them. You, you, had, you had talked about um, not just getting, getting their ear earlier, but I, I would reckon that part of it, too, is not necessarily getting to the young person earlier, but also getting to parents to have mm-hmm. this conversation earlier is probably, I would assume, as an outsider, half the battle. Well, yeah. So, I mean, my personal opinion on this and, and what I'm hearing you say is... Um, when it becomes a problem and we have to do reactive sort of counseling, psychology, those sorts of things, you absolutely need a professional for that, mm-hmm. 110%. Yeah. Um, but there are still things you don't, as a parent or someone who's involved in a child's life, you don't have to be a, pa- a passive passenger to their experience. You can very much guide and stave off some of these things maybe not you know again we're we're speaking in very big generalities there are some things that like from a biological standpoint like there will need to be medical and psychological intervention and all that sort of stuff we're not it doesn't sound like we're really talking about some of those sorts of things we're talking about more things that like you know parents can play an active role in but i think where historically there's been a problem is um looking at it from like you know, the airplane 10,000 foot view is historically, like you said, um, parents come in and they, they're like, something's going on with my kid, but they wait so long where it's like, what was a small problem is now a really big problem. And then from what we know about like human behavior, usually, and this is not a blame thing. It's just the reality is that like, you know, then it gets like sort of confounded and even more intertwined and messed up because they like have tried to like work around it and maybe that wasn't the most healthy thing to do and all those sorts of things and so then it just becomes this like sort of tangled mess i don't know if you've ever seen um there's this little like comic that i love that um says something it like says like um my job as a therapist and it shows um like a person sitting on a i think it's stereotypical like sitting on a couch yeah um and they've got a line that's coming from their head and then it's like this crazy squiggle and then it finally leads out to the therapist and talks about like the therapist's job is to like help them sort of like untangle that sort of mess. Um, But what you're talking about is trying to prevent the tangle from happening. Right. At least to some degree. Uh, Yeah. And you know, when we think about population level interventions or, or things like that um, it's not about, catching everybody and preventing everything. It's about trying to move the whole population up a little bit. It's trying right. to trying to lift everybody up a bit. And so we figure if we can 
you know, let's take a classroom, for example, 30 kids in a classroom on average. If we can, if we can give something to all 30 kids, it still might be that a few of them are going to need some assistance from someone like you, right? right. They're, they're going to need to meet somebody and, and some other ones might meet someone like me at the children's hospital. But a lot of the kids in the classroom might move themselves a little bit farther away from that danger zone, from that point where they are not functioning well or where they're really struggling. And, you know, the best analogy that I've thought of is kind of obesity prevention in the health mm. minefield because, um, you know, it's a lot of education. It's a lot of early intervention. We teach kids about nutrition and pediatricians are talking about it frequently and we're sort of monitoring things. Parents are talking about it with their kids about healthy eating habits and exercising and things. Are some kids still going to be obese and need intervention? Sure. But that's something that's very visible and easy to see. Mental health, not quite as easy to see. And so kids slide under the radar for much longer until someone finally goes, oh, wow, this kid is not doing well. And, and then they walk into someone's office and, and they've got a, a long way to go to return to their best or at least approaching their best. So, um, yeah. What conversations at home for uh, partners, guardians, should we be having if there's even an inkling of there's a change in behavior in mood, where 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 would it start? Where would you recommend it starting for um, you know the adults of of the family, the partners? Sure. Well, I'd be interested in your your thoughts on this too, Sean. But you Ooh, know, for yeah. me, um, you know, I feel like what we're trying to promote is early conversations among parenting dyads and, and caregivers, um, but also early conversations with kids. I mean, I've, I've got an eight and a five-year-old, and, and I might tell some stories about them here in a little bit because they're, they're awesome kids and, and have their own challenges just like everybody. But, um, you know, I've started off really early in life just naturally before I even started doing this work officially with let's start naming emotions. Let's start recognizing what you're feeling in the moment. Let me tell you what I'm feeling in the moment. And, you know, you can associate that with my body language and tone of voice and things. Let's read a book. And then instead of just saying, well, that was a cool story, say, wow, how do you think the person was feeling when they went through that? Mm. What would that have been like? How would you feel if you were in that position? And how might you manage that? So, you know, you start folding it into this normal day-to-day operation as a parent and a caregiver. And then every so often you're checking in with your partner about, you know, hey, I've noticed this lately. Have you noticed the same thing? And are you concerned about it? Because I'm getting a little concerned about it. And maybe we should bring it up with the pediatrician or the guidance counselor or, you know, who, whoever it might be that we have access to um, and just, you know, get a conversation started about whether it's something to intervene in. Yeah, so I 110% agree with everything you just said. Um, I'm going to look at you, Matt. Um, you work out. I was like, waiting for you to be like, but I have a big butt. And no, I was no, like, no, no, no. You work out um, weekly. I don't know. Is it daily? Almost. Almost daily. Um, when I sleep. Tuckerman is <laughs> Tuckerman is, is still, he's definitely old enough that he's watching you and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, I don't, he's 20 months, so he's not like connecting the dots necessarily, but like. I hope not. Yeah. I think about that every time he comes into the bathroom, like, am I going <laughs> to scar him or like, if I'm talking in a weird voice, am I going to make him weird? Like, I, you know, what are the serious things? Like if I'm yelling, is he going to pick that up now? But, but he watches you work out, mm-hmm. right? Um, eventually he's going to be old enough that he's going to watch you take care of your body. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's yeah. going to be like, oh. My, and 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 Heather does as well. She runs and all that sort of stuff. Um, and you know, you guys seem to have healthy relationships with food and you know what you're eating and how much and all that sort of stuff. So, from a an outside perspective, like you guys do a really good job of what what I would refer to as like modeling like positive physical health. Here's my question: What way do you let Tuckerman know? in an outward way that he can see, maybe not now he doesn't cause he, he's not quite connecting all those dots, but when he's six, what way will he look at you and say, my mom and dad take care of their, their mental health as well. That's, that's a great question. Cause I think that's where it starts mm-hmm. is like, you know, I, I talk to parents sometimes about like, 
um, there is literally nothing wrong with looking at your kid and being like, I'm really frustrated right now. And I just need to take a, a break before I say, say something that like might be hurtful. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Parents are real uh, human beings. That doesn't stop when you become a parent. Um, you know, and I think like modeling it and all those sorts of things. So, um, being a good model, but to go back to your actual question, I am a huge proponent for, um, I think we get into some situations with children's mental health where you see something that looks like a little bit off and you're like, "Ah, I don't want to talk about that. So you just don't say anything. And then you see it again and you don't say anything. And then all of a sudden, like something big happens, whether it's at school, at the playground, whatever. And then it's like, well, we can't ignore it. But then you look back and you're like, yeah, I've actually seen my child do that like 30 times. And like, I, I was just so like taken back by it. I didn't know what to do. So I ignored it. So having conversations with your partner, um, or other people, you know, if you're a single parent, like sort of getting a gauge on this, like, Hey, I've seen this or, you know, whoever else is involved in the care of your child. And then I am a huge huge proponent for talking to your pediatrician about it. And I tell parents about this all the time. Here's the thing. um, You know, I'm not a pediatrician. I'm not a medical doctor, but I, I, what the way I kind of explain it to them is. So if you see something that seems like a concern to you and you bring it up the first time you see it and you just say to the doctor, Hey, you know, Susie Q did this at school like, I don't think, like, I don't necessarily think we have to do anything about it, but, like, I just want you to know that happened. Then the doctor will write it down, or the nurse, somebody will write it down and go on their chart. And then when you go in for your next checkup, they'll look at the chart and they'll be like, hey, how's that going? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it happened again, then you can have a conversation about it. Um, and if it didn't, then you can be like, yeah, you know, it turned out that, like, that never happened again or, or whatever. Um and that's a way better place to be in than going to a, your primary care doctor and being like, so my child is in fourth grade. And ever since first grade, teachers have been telling me that like they're doing X, Y, and Z. Now the doctor's trying to play catch up to you and everyone else is sort of trying to. And, and so I think like I tell parents, anyone who's involved in the care and the development of their child should just be all, all on the same informational cha- um, page. Sometimes I feel like, um, and I don't know where this came from because it's 100% not true, that like people feel like if they tell their, their pediatrician or their doctor that it means that like something has to be immediately done. They're also there just to like collect information and sort of track development as things go on. Yeah. So... Um, keeping them in the dark about something doesn't do anyone any favors. So my, I guess my thing would be like, if you're like, I don't know, maybe that's, this seems off to me. Maybe it is off or maybe it's totally like a conversation where your pediatrician's like, actually it turns out like it's totally normal. Like, yeah, you know, Tuckerman's going to, suck on his fingers for a while. You know, I don't know. I'm just picking at something. We haven't gotten there. I'm so proud. We have not been there yet. But do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Versus yeah. like, yeah, the, like trying to stay in front of it. I also come from a place where um, for a while I was studying um, integrated behavioral health. So like behavioral health programming within like primary care offices and things. And I, I tell parents too that um, it, it seems like, and you could, you would be a much better authority on this than I would, but it seems like integrated behavioral health um was like sort of on the coasts for a while and now it's making its way in. And so a lot of people that I think don't realize that there are primary care offices that have, um, counselors, social workers, psychologists, um, that work in primary care and it's not specialty mental health. It's, it's something that's slightly different. It's not meant to be this long term sort of thing. And maybe it is like, just like this quick, like meet with that person a couple of times um, as a family, as a kid. And, and we can sort of course correct if, if there needs to be your support where we need to sort of, um, push some support and then it turns into a no, a no big deal thing. But if you don't say anything to anyone, then I, I guarantee if it's a problem, it will fester. Mm-hmm. And if you don't say anything to anyone and it's not a problem, then you just, you just got lucky to be honest with you. Yep. Absolutely. You you had brought up uh, Doc. Can I call you Doc? 
You can call me whatever. Right. Um, um, do you watch um, Ted Lasso? Uh, love that show. Right. I loved it. The greatest Are you show. both watching the second season right now? I haven't watched the second haven't episode yet. Okay. Sorry. I, you I'm, haven't watched the second season yet? I haven't started oh. even the first episode. I'm a binger. Oh. When it comes to, I can't and stop myself. And it's weekly. Yeah, yeah it's I can't up. stop myself. Okay. So, so, so you'll wait while. until it, you can just plow so, yeah, through. I'm that guy. Sorry. Let, let me put it this way. When you watch the first episode, I know what you're talking if about. If you don't get it, you'll get it by the second. Where I was going to go with this, I'll stop there though. Okay. Um, but there's a reason why I was like, "Can't call you Doc," um, but you'll get it. Uh, you had brought up an idea um, before you both went went into answering that um, question in regards to reading a book, and then instead of saying that's a great story, how do you think he or she felt? I've heard different things. Uh, I used to be a youth minister that worked at a day school and then taught kids in the evenings and and, and the weekends. So I don't work with kids as close as you you two do. But back when I was, I remember going to a training with someone that, that was in your field. And one tip that has always stuck with me, and I even do this with my, my wife now, he goes, we always ask our kids how their day was and expect this profession found answer and when you get a one or two word answer we think something's wrong and in his takeaway or the takeaway that i got from it was you know ask something as simple as on a scale of one to five how would you rate your day because then it's easier to say why is it a three and not a four and 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 a thing like that well i've been doing things with with my wife especially if i know she has a lot going on like on a scale of emoji faces how's your day been but I can only imagine with the limited kids that I've talked to, I've gotten more information from them about their day using, I don't know, different approaches of asking about their day uh, because they've elaborated why it was the winky smiley face and not the the winky with the tongue out smiley face. There's also been um, things that I, I've I've tried to do with Tuck, and again, he's almost two, that even when he was younger, if I if if we were upset with something that he did, he couldn't understand what we were saying. He didn't know what was going on. But I was trying to tell him why we were angry or upset because it would upset us if he kept hitting his head back on his chair because that doesn't make mommy and daddy feel good if you're hurting yourself. So with with that being said, I'd love to hear from both of you of just like what what are some other like quick tips or not quick tips, you know. Fix the world in thirty seconds or less. No, oh, yeah. but what what are no, some no other problem. some quick things that maybe someone listening or a, a younger parent like myself and Heather are like, oh, we should remember to do that in a couple years, or oh, I haven't thought about that in terms of shifting what we do post reading at bed, or the way that we ask how your day is. Are what are some other like you ever things? Heard, you ever heard of two stars and a wish? No. You ever heard of this? Yeah. So two stars and a wish, like what were two basically highlights? Mm-hmm. And then what's one thing you wish would have gone differently? And that could be as simple as like, you know, I got grilled cheese at lunch and I wish oh. I would have had a ham sandwich. Dude, cheesy dippers, that'd yeah. be two stars right there because you get two dippers. Like a breadstick with the cheese. I think they're Bosco sticks too. Bosco sticks. Back home, yeah. 75 cents extra, you got two more. <laughs> so I think um, two stars and a wish is a good way Um on this subject, I'm going to go, like, I answered it, so now I'm going to move slightly, and then you can bring it back. But um, are you familiar with the term interviewing for pain? Mm-mm. So interviewing for pain, fast forward, I don't know, six years. Tuck's, you know, about eight, seven and a half, eight, gets in the car, and you say, hey, did Johnny pick on you today? That's interviewing for pain. That's giving an expectation that like something has happened. And I think sometimes parents, well intending, I, you know, it's not coming from a, an intention. They're trying to check on their child. But um, interviewing for pain sends a message that, like something must have gone wrong. Tell me what went wrong. And it like frames the conversation automatically in a negative sort of light versus, um, you know, when you going to counseling and therapy and stuff like that they talk to you about like asking open-ended questions there's no expectation of answer just like tell me about your day those sorts of things um so i think as you're having these conversations you have to be very mindful of not doing what we call interviewing for pain if you're asking like with the like with the sort of 
idea that something has gone wrong or like something like that, then I think you need to take a pause and think about if there's a better way to sort of ask that question. Mm -hmm. Um, my other tip to that, to how you ask, um, is I talk to kids a lot, their feelings as weather. So if I said, you know, I'm having a windy day, what I'm sure you're going like, I have no idea what that means. And that's a normal thing. And so you can say, well, what does that mean to you? Like, help me understand. Um, I literally just had a conversation with someone um, recently, um, like way outside of counseling and all that. I asked them how their day was in weather, and they said um, tornado. And I thought, oh, gosh, that's going to be, like, terrible, right? Because, like, that's my – and they were like, it's just been, like, really busy, and, like, a lot of things have been happening all at once. And they weren't necessarily bad things, but, like, it provided a – It was just a lot. It was just a lot, right? And so – Asking a question where they can kind of give a little bit. Now, they have to be, in my experience, kindergarten, maybe right towards the end of pre-K, they can start to do some of that because that's not that's less concrete thinking. That's much more abstract. But um, by kindergarten, they totally, you can ask them their weather, like their feelings as weather. So, yeah. Dr. Houston. Yes. What would your weather report be? For today? Being here on this podcast. Would it be a hurricane of awesome? That's ex- don't ask, you don't read, ask leading questions. You oh. read my, I mean, you, you partially read my mind. No, I mean, you know, my days are usually a, a, a bit of tornado with, uh, with some hurricane force winds blowing me all over town. But no, I, I have a lot of sunshine in my life these days with work, and, and I love my job and love my family and my kids. So, um, you know, my weather report would be pretty good most days, but, you know, some partly cloudy, some pop-up storms, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah. Pop-up but, thunderstorms. So it's just a nice way to, like, have a conversation. Like, and what that it is actually, a good way to ask, a, like, ask about a day. Well, yeah. and the other thing that it does is... Um, it can be really difficult, no matter how old you are, to say, like, I'm feeling sad. Like, for whatever reason, I mean, there's a multitude of reasons why it shouldn't be that way, but, like, that's the way it is. Um, so when you ask someone about their weather, it's different than asking them about their feelings. Even though you're asking them about their feelings, like, you've gone about it in a roundabout way that, like, puts one extra piece of, like, well, I can talk about my weather. That's way more comfortable than telling you how I feel. Mm-hmm. And then you can be like, well, explain to me what that means. And so you've just put this little buffer in. And I'm not I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. It's just that's what I've my personal experience with, like, yeah. with it, it has been. And, um, and so you gave us a couple. Were there a, a couple that, that you kind of recommend or some some – ace in the back pocket that that parents should also have because now i'm going to be thinking weather report and how to end a story appropriately this this is this is i'm well yeah. i don't need to take notes we're recording yeah well <laughs> i was like i'm gonna write this down I'm like no i'm not you're lucky recording. lucky for us we're, yeah. we got this all down well you know that's part of when i think of why you know talking about a book or a character or you know the older kids get, the more you can involve creativity. It's the same thing that Sean just said about putting a buffer. So if you're talking about, you know, how does that kid feel? How did that character, that dog that, you know, was missing its toy, um, that puts one more layer, again, in between them and having to sort of divulge absolutely everything that's going on in their own life. But then once they start talking about it, it's a little bit more easy to say something like, you know, I feel that way when... And so you model it, and, and again, yep. that's the point of you modeling it to your kids about, I can talk about this, I, I'm a dad, I'm, I'm the tough guy, but I'm also sad sometimes, and I, I'm also scared sometimes, and, I, you know, and then you give an example. And then, last but not least, you lead into them and say, what about you? Have you, thought, have you had that experience lately, or can you think of a time when you felt like that? By then, they've sort of come around to the fact that this cool character in a book has felt that way. Mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or whoever has felt that way. And so now, yeah, that's okay for me to, to talk about a little bit. And if not, then you maybe illustrate it for them when they get old enough. So, you know, when my son wasn't quite old enough to do it, I would say, you know, the other day, I think I remember that you felt this way when, and you give them an example from their own Mm -hmm. life. And then you watch, watch the hamster turn that wheel and they think, oh, so that's what that was. You know, I 
I was feeling something, I said something, got myself in trouble, and maybe this was the context. And, and it's like this sort of real-life learning opportunity. Um, and then the other thing is I come at it from same things with the, the stars and a, and a wish. Um, we did a whole growing your gratitude exercise uh, last year in May, so a year ago. And it was a bunch of different activities where for um, – we suggested it for 21 days, which is about how long it takes to make a make a habit stick if it's going to. But just instead of asking again, how was your day? It's what were you grateful for today? What are two great things that happened? Um, I like including, and and we didn't in this exercise. I do like including the you know what's a thing that you wish could have gone different because you don't just want to blow sunshine around the dinner table when someone's had a tough day and and you want to leave space for it. Mm-hmm. But it also is really helpful mental exercise where on your worst day, the day that you got teased on the playground and spilled chocolate milk on your pants at lunch and then you know didn't get a good grade on your art project, to still come home and say what you were thankful for that day. And that can be a helpful exercise along with talking through some of the challenges that you might've gone through. You know what I'm also thinking about? Um, and you and I have talked about this before. Um, and it's something that Kimberly and I, not every day, but fairly regularly at our, we have breakfast together every morning, like actual eggs, the whole like sort of thing. Um, and I try and make a habit and we try and make a habit of asking each other what's something you're looking forward to. Um, and like, it, it's a nice thing to like, I don't know. It just puts you in like a good mindset as you walk out the door for the day too. And I think that's yeah. a conversation you can have with your, like what's something you're looking forward to about today. Maybe it's PE class or maybe it's like, oh, I'm really excited because you know, we're, I don't know, growing butterflies and, in, and, in, in our class and I think they might hatch today or those sorts of things. Bosco sticks at lunch. Yeah. Get that second one for 75 cents. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think sort of, and then the flip side to that is um, the other way you can ask that too, or slightly different is what's something you're, that you did that you're proud of today. Mm. Um, And I, I think there, I think a lot of people think that this is a whole like, you have to do all these big things, but really what we're talking about is these tiny little, like mon- like tiny little things that make monumental shifts over a long period of time. And I, mm-hmm. and I talk to parents a lot about like, I'm going to help, or I'm going to give you suggestions of things you can do it if, if you want, you, you know, it's your choice, but like where I might help suggest some different language and you might listen to it and be like, yeah, like that sounds like, almost exactly the same except for like one little word change and what I sort of talk about is that like we're talking about like a long we're we're playing the long game on this one mm-hmm. because if if every time I walk into or every time I see you um Matt I go you suck and then we just like move on and then next time we see you you suck whatever um eventually you see me and you're going to think I suck cuz that's what you're used to hearing. Um, and we have to be aware of, not that I'm saying anyone's saying that to their kid, but um, the little sort of things and in, in the repeated messages we send make a really, really profound difference. Um, it's actually, I mean, it, certainly everyone can have, you know, what we would call an adverse childhood experience, an ACE and all that sort of stuff. And, the, you know, that's not to diminish that at all. Right. But... <laughs> If we're talking about like for a, a large percentage of the population, it's the little things that we repeatedly say and do over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the biggest, in my personal opinion, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, people come into my office and and I have so many parents who will say, I know why this is happening. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, please let me, tell why me. is this happening? And they tell me a story about this one time a couple of years ago, you know, I, I made them do this and I yelled at them about it. And, and I feel like ever since then, it's just been this, and I, and it's like, okay, well, I got to stop you there. You know, unless we're talking about an ACE, you know, one of these big experiences and, and some sort of abusive event, chances are that one time that you yelled at them about not eating their green beans did not create 
a challenge with feeding or with anxiety or something like that. Chances are it was, you know, just a lot of factors that have built on themselves over time. And so, you know, getting back to thinking about this as a, a preventative strategy and how can we how can we try and work against these things as parents? It's trying to correct your own ways of teaching your kids how to process these things so that, you know, we don't raise a kid in a month. We spend you know, most of our adult lives, those of us who have kids, trying to raise them and, and teach them. So um, it's about us trying to make sure that we're communicating healthy strategies and healthy mindsets to them. You know, I, I have a question about us. Um, my, my question is, for an us, for the um, parents, for the partners, if we're behind closed doors away from the little ones, talking about either we think something might need to be addressed or someone that maybe is far behind or far beyond that and and there is being something professionally being addressed what should those two um, partners hear or be discussing to support one another because I, I remember a friend who was um, uh, depressed and getting a lot of help uh, from a counselor, and he would always remind me, "Hurt people, hurt people." So, outside of kids, what should the partners, the parents, be saying to one another to one be healthy for one another and supportive, which probably is just as important as as being there for for the um, the young one, but to make sure that they're also helping cheerlead, support, but also parent. That's a lot of stuff, but I, I, I really wanted yeah. to make sure we got that question. And then, because I know this will be a longer answer, I have two rapid-fire questions. Okay. Okay. I'll try and make it a, a relatively short one. Oh, no, and I I'm mean, not trying to tee it up. I just think that this this is going to be a good one yeah. and, and one that listeners would want to hear. Sure. I mean, this could be an entire episode. For right? sure. Um, but, you know, I am an advocate for a daily parenting check-in as well. And that's whether you're uh, an intact family with both biological parents in the home or, you know, a split family for whatever reason with a, a range of people caring for a child, you know, doing a daily, ideally, but at least a weekly check-in just about um, maybe your two stars and a wish as parents, right? What, what's been the highlight of parenting this week, this child, you know, what do what are the joys of parenting for you these days, if you can find them? And, you know, what's something that we might be concerned about or need to work on? And I would say the single most important thing to do is to listen to your partner. No matter if one partner is doing the primary caregiving and the other is playing a more minor role because they're full-time working or, or outside the home, um, you know, everybody notices different things. Everybody has a different perspective. And so, um, making sure not to minimize when someone says, I have a concern and taking it seriously. And then, you know, as Sean really well put earlier, I'm a huge advocate for, you know, hey, if if one of us has a concern and the other one might not think it's as big of a concern, let's bring in somebody else who actually knows about child development. And that's where I, the first two people I think of are school support staff and pediatricians. Those are the two first people I think of because they're going to know your kid, they're going to know child development, and they're going to be able to maybe ask some more pointed questions to help you figure it out. So um, when in doubt, get someone else involved who, who knows and loves your child and wants them to develop really well. Um, and, and then you can, you know, make any decisions that come up from there. So I'm going to go with this from, you, had, you made a comment that, or when you were asking the question that maybe suggested that the individual had already reached a point where like they needed support or, you know, that they had sort of reached that sort of thing. I am a huge, huge proponent for if your child is going to counseling or therapy, you also should be doing some form of family or parenting or something. I personally think that when we're talking about younger, particularly younger kids, if you're sending your your young child to therapy to, to work through some of those things or counseling, um, 
that you also can benefit from those things, whether that's parenting strategies to help them or just like an outlet to have a conversation about how difficult it is to parent or the, in like allowing you to be that sort of person. So I, I think if your kid is involved in counseling, then that it is a perfectly healthy thing for a multitude of reasons for you also to be involved in counseling for, for if for no other reason, it sends a huge message to the child. It's totally fine. I go and see someone to talk to as well. Um, so yeah. like that would be like adding on. I love the parent, the weekly check-in daily, that sort of thing. But if you have reached a point where someone says, okay, yes, so-and-so would benefit from working with someone, then I think it's totally healthy for you to go as the parent, um, whether that's working with like a marriage and family therapist or a psychologist that can work with your family or just you individually, like every situation's individual to that. Yeah. But particularly because kids, um, you know, they're like, they're in your environment. They're in like, they're not adults that like go and like stay at their own apartment afterwards. Right. Like they leave counseling and you pick them up. And, and so like you need to have some opportunity to offload some of whatever you're feeling as well as, gain some strategies for some of those sorts of things. And I think this goes to bring it sort of full circle back to what we were talking about. That doesn't mean you've done anything wrong as a parent, like at all. It like, in fact, actually I think you're doing everything right as a parent. If you're going like, man, I just need some help with like you specifically said, and this is going to go into one of my rapid fire questions, but I'm not going to because we still have some time, but when Sarah was on, when we were talking about real talk um, for LGBTQIA plus mm-hmm. um, issues, um, I think you both came at the same time and said, "Don't wait to go to counseling when you need count when you actually know you need counseling. Go to counseling when yeah. you feel like you're actually put together." Or I, f- I forget how you worded it. Um, and and I think so often as as an outsider and a newish parent, but I've I've taught spin for eight eight years now, eight and a half years, and just looking at the wellness aspect, so I'm not going to pretend I'm at any level that you two are because I'm not. But so many times people worry too much about someone else's like health. I'll use my own spin experience that they're like, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to encourage this person to do this and this because they're just not healthy. And I'm like, you haven't had a rest day in like five weeks. You're going to fall apart if you don't rest. And I've seen a lot of parents where I'll be like, how are you doing? Well, you know what? So-and-so is being really bad or this kid's being that. And I'm like, no, you, how are you doing? And I think too, too many times, again, as an outsider, and you two would have much more experience, that parents end up becoming, or guardians, because it could even be grandmas and grandpas or aunts and uncles, where they're so focused on little Johnny or Jill that they forget about me. Well, yeah, and here's where this becomes a problem, in my opinion. I become so focused on Johnny, Jill, whoever, you know, we're talking about, that we're still human beings, that eventually my patient's level, my, like, my mental health begins to degrade, and then I don't necessarily always realize it, but because I'm not taking care of myself, I can't take care of someone else, and so then that can, again, not always, but can negatively contribute to the situation because if I'm always at the end of my rope and like, Hey, there's no blame or shame in that. Like these things are stressful, but if you don't, if you're not taking care of yourself, then like I've sat hundred percent true story. I sat in a room one time with an individual that made the same noise for like three and a half hours. What? Repeatedly. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. And I mean, there's like much more to that, but if I'm not in like in a mentally healthy place, oh man, I'm a snap. Like, and, and the, the circumstances that that was surrounding, that was the individual's goal was like, I'm gonna get this person to snap. Um, and so I can totally understand where like, or I can see where if you are not in your own well state, how this brings it. Like, it just drags you into that sort of mess. And so, you know, somebody in the pool's got to have a life jacket on. Like, that that's just my uh, my sort of opinion on it. Um, I don't know what you think. Yeah. 
no, I, I'm I'm 100% with that and, and agree with that. And, you know, thinking about parent self-care and parent support for themselves, it's that's been a huge topic of conversation, especially over the past 18 months is, you know, how can, how is it possible these days to prioritize everything that we need to prioritize as a parent? It, it becomes a really difficult balancing act. And then you throw, you know, it's sort of like the, the house of cards, you throw that one last card, which is, you know, your, your child has a really difficult day at school and, and something happens or you have a bad day at work and get, you know, laid off or suspended or, or don't get that raise you were expecting. And if the system is is not on a very solid foundation, meaning mom and dad and whoever else is taking care of things aren't on a solid situation, then it's pretty easy for that whole house of cards to fall down with, with those stressors. Well, yeah. And I, I see all, it's almost always well-intending. Like, parents and families that are like trying to do a million things for the kids, like taking them from here to there and all these sorts of, I got you know, I got to go from soccer practice to gymnastics and all these sorts of things. Um, and I feel like the biggest, most untrue thing is, um, that self care is selfish. And, and in all honesty, if you really took a, a moment to, to step back and, and ask yourself this, Okay, if you look at your night and Johnny's excited about soccer and Susie's excited about gymnastics and you're exhausted because you didn't get good sleep because the dog kept you up at night and all these sorts of things and you're at the end of your rope and you've had a a rough day. And if you look at this and, and just sort of pretend, okay, if I take Johnny and Susie to their things and I'm exhausted by the end, one of them's going to say something and be like, oh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm making this up. I, I They only gave me four chicken nuggets and I wanted five. And you're going to lose your mind because you're at the end of your rope, right? It's now like nine o'clock. The kids should have been in bed by then. You're driving through McDonald's. You hate doing that. But like, here it is. Like, we're just trying to make it work. No blame or shame, right? Um, because you're trying to get them to all the things that they wanted to do. And so you have this big blow up not blaming you. Hey, everybody's human. What would have happened if you would have just looked at them and said, you know what? We have had a mom, dad, whoever it is, has had a really long day. And I know you're really excited to go do this, but tonight we're just going to stay home as a family. And you actually prioritize your sort of mental health and their, and, and sort of modeled that for them to say like, we don't have to do all of this. This is what we need right or this is what I need right now to be a good a, a good parent and a good caregiver to you. Um, and obviously in, in more like developmentally appropriate ways. That's not something you feel guilty about. That's actually like, in my opinion, that's like a parenting win. That's saying like, look, we're stretched too thin right now. We just need to hit the pause button. Um, and if 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 doing that meant that you ended up dealing with like the I'm bummed about it. And then you got in the, and then they got home and then you ended up having a really fun, like really nice evening where you weren't putting Johnny and Susie to bed as they were crying because you screamed at them about their chicken nuggets and, you know, everything else. Yeah. Then then you've done them actually a really solid thing. Um, and so I think parents need to remember that um, self-care is not selfish. It has care at the end and not ish on, pur- on purpose. Um, yeah. So let me rapid fire question you this. Um, this is something that, that Sean usually does, but I'm going to do it. Um, and especially as we're up against kind of, um, I think we're over, over an hour. So I don't want to, I don't want to take up too much of your time. If there was one go-to resource book that you would recommend right, right this minute to parents, is there one that comes to mind? Well, I mean, being self-serving, I would say that the program that I work for is what I've love for people to access, which is, um, our website is on our sleeves.org. And the reason I say that is not only because I, I think what we do is, um, is important and, and obviously we're trying to move the needle on this topic and, and for children's mental health, but everything we do is free and openly accessible to everybody. And I think it's really important that people know and understand that there's an accessible way to learn about this and to learn more, but to go a step or two beyond that to, let me download something that I can actually do with my kid tonight. 
let me download something that I can that we can do as a family. Or um, if you're a teacher, let me get my hands on some things that I could integrate into my classroom very easily to to further this topic. Um, so that would be one of my first things. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. Yeah. Because um, I was gonna say there are tons. Of, you know, we have teachers that listen too as as well. Um, who want to take this on and on our sleeves also has a yeah you a, a took classroom my, you component took, you took my second oh, rapid shit. fire question <laughs> yeah well um we have a project going on this year called the million classrooms project and um i'm really proud of it it's our i say it's our it's a tangible manifestation of us really wanting to support teachers and students out there as they return to the classroom this fall. And so we kind of did this, let's get through it mindset last year. This year, we're trying to say, how can we help kids return and thrive in the classroom or in, in a partially virtual environment for some kids this year? And so if you go to onoursleeves.org slash million, we're trying to get on our sleeve stuff into 1 million elementary and middle school classrooms in the country this year, which is one out of four. And believe it or not, we're we're closer than I thought we might have been at this point because we've we put a lot of effort in with some of our national partnerships and things. But um, there's all kinds of kits and lesson plans for teachers and all kinds of great stuff that we've developed with some education experts from across the country. I know a counselor that you should probably get in contact with. I'll send you his digits <laughs> later. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> another rapid fire question for you: What's your go-to self care? Do you do you have Ooh, a go-to that's one? That's a good one. Yeah. Well, I learned from I learned from the best. That's fantastic. Um, you know, my go-to like if it's in the moment, then my go-to self-care is music. Mm-hmm. I can access that anywhere. You know, I can listen what to it anytime. Kind? Death metal. Ooh, no, just joking. In all honesty, it goes with my mood. I mean, I range yeah. from classical. I love a composer named Ludovico Einaudi, who's an Italian composer. Love him. Got my kids into him, like going to bed. They like to listen to his music. He's a modern composer. All the way to like, you know, for those dads out there who who listen to the more hardcore stuff, like idols and stuff like that, who are, you know, pretty hardcore when I need something to, you know, express a, a negative emotion. I'm but. all about American Idol too. When, oh I'm, no, I'm, you're, going, you're going heavy metal. I, I'm going to give joking. you a, a suggestion. Please do. Uh-oh. Um, if you haven't checked them out, check out DS and the Goat Herders. DS and the Goat Herders. Yeah, that's Scott. hard to forget. Yep, there are there Classic are house Scott. band. So great ska band. They did our intro awesome. and outro. I love uh, it. I have one more rapid fire question for you. Sure. And then I know that the master of the fire. Uh, I don't think I do. Oh, okay. So. The I think one topic we've covered a lot of in our year and change as a podcast has been something around mental health in different capacities. Mm-hmm. We had Sarah who came on first where one pearl of wisdom or takeaway for me was don't go to counseling when you think you actually need the counseling. Go go early or go when, when things feel great. Um, we had um, Sasha drop in the round table that um, a great way to start your day in a positive light is to start by making your bed. Um, we have you who constantly, not constantly, because that sounds negative, um, who always suggests it's okay to not be okay. What's the one pearl of wisdom you're going to leave me with, Doc? Sure. I'm just joking. I'm putting you on the spot there. No, you 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 left with a lot of great great pearls. But is there is there like one go to motto uh, or phrase that you like to to use quite a bit? Yeah, it all starts with a conversation. That's what I always say. You know, parents constantly and teachers constantly ask me, "How do I start with this? How do I make an end road? How do I get this going?" And that's what it comes down to. It starts with a conversation, whether it's with your partner, whether it's with your class, with your teacher, with your child. Um, you can't make any change if you're not talking about it because, as Sean was saying, when you just let it fester underneath the surface, it's going to bubble up eventually. So that would be my my pearl. Mm. And so if anyone wanted to find any information on any platform, lay, lay it all out for, for the listeners to hear. You already gave us the website, but sure. where else can they get information? Well, On Our Sleeves itself has social media handles. So we're on um, Instagram as, I think it's On Our Sleeves Official on Instagram. Um, you know, we do Facebook and Twitter as On Our Sleeves. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Parker Houston PhD. 
Um, and then the website is really the gateway to everything. You can sign up for our e-newsletter and get just some easy updates every couple weeks about you know new content we're releasing and, and what we're thinking about. So those are the best ways to get in touch with us. Have you thought of being on MySpace? <laughs> you know, I, I it's have. an untapped resource. We're on, we're on there. Yeah. I'm, I'm told that I need to like <laughs> register for TikTok or something, and I'm like, uh, no. You know, we've got no. a social media team no. who I I would love for them to just handle all of that stuff. You Instagram's know, about the most that I can manage. Okay, these you know days. what? Now that I'm thinking, I was going to say no to the TikTok, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'd pay good money to see you do a TikTok dance. I'd yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> You know, if there's money in it, they, they didn't just get. A, I'm always good for fundraising. They, they didn't just get a brain with you; they got the face too yeah, when they yeah. when they put you in charge. So, <laughs> someone did something right there. Uh, this is great. Oh, Th- thank you so much for for being here. This is great to also see Sean kind of in in your environment too, and and nerd out in the smart people things that you do. So thank you for being here, Sean. Thank you for, thank for you. making this better um, than, than we could have imagined. And thank you to you, wherever and however you're listening to us. Um, if you could just send us some love um, with a follow or some sort of rating of our podcast. We're just a small, local, independent podcast, so please help us there. Be sure to follow us again on MySpace. <laughs> Instagram and Facebook. Oh, and wait. How's the Zanga page coming up? I, I, I haven't. I forgot. It's not a Z. It starts with an X. Oh. So I, I was, my oh. research was oh. all off. Oh, that's okay. tough. Yeah. Yeah. We won't go down that dark hole that I went down. Um, but most importantly, if if you want to um, to tell us how we're doing, please email us at thedadasspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, stay strong, dadass.